0: Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., and I am joined by Deborah Fitzgerald this morning. Deborah, good morning.
1: Hello, Miles. You call me Deborah
0: <laughs> only on the podcast. That's I, true. That's only, true. It's the only time I use that. You are the last Deborah. No, um,
1: <laughs> I don't mind that at all.
0: <laughs> we're just going to cover some news topics. We've been a while since we were able to sit down in here and talk about some of the things going on around the county, and there's a lot going on as always, and not just. The construction in egg harbor which i just saw the other day for the first time like driving oh, through it
1: Did, did I, you? Yeah. i broke the law
0: i drove through <laughs>
1: uh, no no you didn't if you were going to a business oh you you were just driving just... through okay yes you did break the law then <laughs> i go there every weekend because i always have something going on there you know yoga or shopping or something and they have craters i mean i have to go like i don't know one mile per hour I think it was going to take out one of my tires. So you really do kind of <laughs> go through that low, you know, through the highway at your own risk right now.
0: Yeah, it's a. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, it's amazing how many construction vehicles they have to mobilize to do mm-hmm. a project like that. But yeah, it's it's torn up. But you can still get to it. For yes, you can. Harbor businesses. I'm there
1: every weekend. I can testify to that. So.
0: <laughs> and like you said, you have to drive if you want to go to a business down there. You have to be going to a business. And you're not supposed to do what I did; just drive straight through it. But you can also access a lot of those businesses from Church Street if mm-hmm. you want to avoid all the construction. But so.
1: some of the construction, right? I yeah. mean, <laughs> at the beginning part of it, that's where they that's where they started. You know, the big, huge, gaping holes. But yeah. So anyway, it's perfectly it's perfectly fine downtown right now. I mean, they haven't gotten yeah to it's like that the south edge yet. and the north edge, right? Yes. So once exactly. you get through that
0: slush, not slush craters. Yeah. Piles of dirt.
1: (laughs) Speaking of slush, did you hear that there was a tornado in Wisconsin, the first ever reported for February?
0: I did not. Yes. Where? In Wisconsin.
1: (laughs) Yes. Long. Outside of our coverage area. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is way outside of our coverage area. I never heard of the town where it, it happened. But still, the fact that there is a tornado, because, you know, last night. I heard, you know, we don't live too far from the water, and the waves are crashing. When was the last time you heard waves crashing? No kidding. Early February. Yeah, it's
0: Friday, February 9th right now, and normally I would not be available to do this podcast because I'd be setting up for the Door County Pond Hockey Tournament, but we had to cancel last week just looking at the weather. You know, you sit there like two and a half weeks ago, and you start seeing it kind of warm, and you're just like, well, hopefully it breaks because all we needed, we've been able to make it happen with like one day of really cold temperatures and just working through the night and-
1: That happened last year, I didn't That's that? what
0: we did last year. And we were able to get half a day of, of good ice, even though it hit the 40s the day of the tournament. And in other years, we were almost gonna cancel on like a Thursday, but we ended up, it just got cold enough overnight to like into the 20s or teens and we could make enough ice. And then this, this year, each time a new day would show up on the, the extended forecast and it just looked warmer and worse and got worse. You know, I've, I've been involved in events with the half marathon, the bike rides. My MO is usually like, why why look at the weather? It's so mm-hmm. imp- unpredictable up here. So people are like, oh, it looks like rain Saturday. I'm like, I'm, I won't know until Saturday. And right. usually that's the case. A lot of times they have a thunderstorm or rain predicted and it ends up being a beautiful day.
1: They have such a hard time predicting the weather over this peninsula. Right. Because of the water body influence. Yep.
0: It changes everything. And then so with the pond hockey tournament several times, I've thought, all right, we might have to cancel and then. It just, it gets colder than you thought. And we can make ice this year. There was just no chance. I mean, what a weird weather year.
1: What about roller skate hockey? (laughs) I mean, that is
0: is the kind of thing that Brian Fitzgerald has brought up. Maybe we could do that because Brian is is the main organizer of the event. And had we not canceled it, this is usually a time when he's like, all right, what do we do if the ice doesn't hold, what do we do? And, and this year there was just no chance. So. Mm. You can't really convert an
1: ice rink to a roller rink, can you? I Not think they're overnight. probably I mean, bigger. It's. I think it's harder to roller skate than it is to ice skate. Yeah, and the, personally,
0: and, the, and everybody who skates doesn't necessarily rollerblade or roller skate. So yeah, true. Anyway, All right. on to the news and away yes. from this. Terrible weather. What do you want to hit up first?
1: I think it's up to you because <laughs> you're sitting you're sitting in the seat where all the controls are. So that automatically gives you the
0: all right, I opportunity to, the to say, oh. you know.
1: <laughs> all right, let's talk about Sister Bay. Okay. Which is interesting because Sister Bay is a new beat. Now, here we... A new beat for you, yes. Yeah. So here we mix things up periodically and try to get as much coverage at as many of the 19 municipalities that we have. And so recently I have taken over Northern Door, but I'm kind of focusing on one municipality first, and that is Sister Bay. So they have a lot. And there's go- nothing, nothing to
0: cover there. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. They have a lot going on. So it was natural to start there. And at first, when you first go into municipality and start covering that, there are just so many... So many things that are confusing and unknown, but when they have as many things going on as they do in Sister Bay, it is even more so. Like the Liberty Grove town board is having a meeting today. I looked at the agenda. That's another thing that is on my list now. But, you know, there's just a few sleepy little things. Yeah. And so that would be much easier to jump in and do. Sister Bay, you kind of have to like go back in time to figure out when... All of this stuff happened, and what's the history behind all these building projects, and blah, blah, blah. But you know it very well because you were the one who was covering it before that, and it's also a community near and dear to your home.
0: Yeah, and I've been involved in different committees there over the years as well. Stretching back 20 years, you still own a business there. So obviously, like, very familiar with it and intertwined with it. They're taking on a lot. Yes. You know, I think of we, we've talked about this because uh, they've, they've struggled to get consensus and, and direction on some of this and move things forward. But part of that is just the avalanche of, of things they're trying to do all at one time. And you saw this as soon as you started looking at the agendas and saw <laughs> 17 items. And so where do we start? Want to start with the Parks Maintenance Building that they Well, why don't we do
1: that? Because that is the most forward-moving project okay. at this time, it appears. So the Parks Maintenance Project. So right now, the maintenance department is housed in the old fire department on Mill Road. And I remember that very well because I used to cover Sister Bay at that time. Did I just say sister?
0: <laughs> you did. I like it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sista Bay. (laughs) So I used to cover Sista Bay when obviously my accent was a lot stronger (laughs) because that just came back automatically. But I remember when they were building the new fire station Mm -hmm. and that was a big controversy back then um, on paying for that. But so they would be supposedly tearing that one down. And then the new parks maintenance facility would be going where they call it the cold storage building. I guess it's got a dirt floor. It's just where they store things. And it apparently the new one would be going there, which is also where they have those lagoons that they filled in in the 1980s.
0: Yeah, because the water treatment plant used to have... The wastewater treatment plant used to have these big lagoons. They modernized and got rid of those. But they, there's been questions for a while about, like, what, what, what can we actually build on those?
1: Right. So they, so soil borings are a part of this project. So if they decide to keep that cold storage building there and put the new maintenance, parks, maintenance, facility building somewhere else, they, they want to know if they can build on those on former of fill sites. Yeah, so you, you
0: mentioned the cold storage building. And I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast before. I probably have. But it's just such a weird thing because every time somebody mentions cold storage building in a meeting, somebody's like, so why are we storing meat or yeah, what are do we doing? Is I it thought. produce? <laughs> and basically, for whatever reason, towns decided to start calling garages cold storage. Yeah. <laughs> like, right, It's essentially what it is. It's just a garage where they store stuff that doesn't need to be heated. Yes. So Christmas decorations, vehicles, signage, that kind of thing. That doesn't need anything special. It just sits in a building. So that's what we mean by cold storage. Yeah, uh,
1: I thought there were freezers in there, meat lockers. You know,
0: when I first when the county was talking about this, that's what I thought too. I'm like, what are they? Is it like all the food for the county employees, or do they have a cafeteria? Like, right. I and then it's oh, it's a garage.
1: And frankly, that's like that's part of the difficulty when you first enter a new community. Is there is what everybody calls it? Yeah. And then there's the real name. You know, so well, it's, like it's kind Wilsie of like property. nicknames. Yes, I call
0: this property the wiltsey property because anybody who's lived in Sister Bay for a long time just knows it's that's where the wiltseys lived and they had an orchard and the farm and it's just what you call it is like when nor would give these presentations where he'd like kind of talk his way through driving down all these side roads and he would just refer to them as whatever they were owned by when mm-hmm. he moved to Door county was what it still was and that's i think how everyone is mm-hmm. so now i realize that if i say wiltsey property so many people have no idea what you're talking about unless you are really like a long-term member of that community. Mm -hmm.
1: Or they certainly don't know why it's called Wiltsey Property. Right? Right? You know, even if they know where it is, they just...
0: Or Gateway Park. the name of it. This is one that uh, I was talking to Louise Housen, the Bay Advancement Association director. They often, in a park committee meeting, they would refer to Gateway Park. And I was like, what? Is that what they call it when you walk into the waterfront? Because at one point they talked about having a gateway structure there when I was on a committee years ago. And then it's Gateway Park is actually the it's this little piece of triangle of land as you come into Sister Bay down the hill where they have the old schoolhouse which is an information yeah. booth, but that is Gateway Park. So even I didn't know what the heck they were know. talking about, and I was like, why don't they just call it a Schoolhouse Park, what <laughs> or, yeah. or or the Hill or right. something? <laughs> like, Gateway Park. Nobody knows what that is. I'm so glad you, you are told on me the that. Committee. Yeah. Okay, great. So there you go.
1: Okay, so there are going to be a lot of things like that. Yeah. And so the reason why this particular project is the most forward-moving one is that they did go out for bids for engineering and architectural design of a building. So it's not for the site work that's being done by a different company, by Stantec, but it is just for the building, just to design the building and do the soil borings. And so they had a number of companies decide to bid on that and then they're elevating one recommendation to the village board. So if they hire that company, then once this company does the architectural drawings and the construction drawings, then they could go out to bid with a project. So that's why this one is the most forward-moving. They would, of course, need to borrow for this project. They have it estimated at $4 million, which includes demolition of the buildings and all of the site work. It includes everything, basically. Mm. And they're saying that this is just uh, making sure that they have all their bases covered. They think it's a really high figure and that it won't come in anywhere near that. But they do plan to borrow for that this mm. year. So that is one of the projects that is supposed to get off the ground this year. There are other projects going on as you as you know but none of those seem like they're going to be lifting off this year.
0: You know, some people have said like, why does parks need a new building? It's just storage. I will say that like there was a reason the fire station needed to move 20 years ago, that the old fire station, it's, it's an old building. It's a very basic building. And even the parks guys will tell you like, we don't need a Taj Mahal. We don't need anything great, but like what they have, they're kind of crammed into that building. And it's a key downtown parcel, which park storage, is probably not the highest and best use of that from the village perspective. So that's been on the docket for a long time. It just hasn't been a priority until now.
1: Right. It looks like there is the facility plan and what they intend to have happen, which is, you know, basically what many communities do. They come up with a plan and this is what may happen. I think the important thing that I have learned is that it is not a static Thing like there is there is nothing about that facility plan that requires those things to happen. There is no mandate like where that old fire station is. They're tearing it down, and so they talked, and the facility plan shows that they would like to have the post office move to that site, but there has been zero movement. I understand on that. So, there has also been talk of turning it into parking because it's so close to downtown. Mm -hmm. So, what is going to happen at that site is really not decided
0: yet. But, do you want my opinion?
1: (laughs) Yes, Miles, do you have one on this? Well,
0: the the, uh,
1: I'm shocked.
0: Well, my knee jerk is do not put parking there. Terrible use of a downtown space that could be very valuable. And so I, I worry about like... At least
1: not till they figure out if there really is a parking issue, right?
0: I've already figured that out. Okay. <laughs> um, they have a committee, you know, I, I that have, they're convening to I, try I'm and figure that out. Another That's what Door County needs, like the eighth version of parking committees in every town. There was a plan in that Ayer study that had the post office move there. There's also one that had the post office and the admin building on that lot where you could have some parking for those two uses, that could also be shared use parking for the weekends, which makes a lot of sense. You get a lot more value out of that parking then, than just a parking lot. But the problem is the post office, to my knowledge, has not actually, anybody with power at the post office has not spoken to them about moving the post office. You the mean post the office, post
1: office hasn't responded? Yeah,
0: it's stunning, right? That is really I mean, crazy. Because you guys, yes. you, you talk to them all the time. <laughs> right. Um you, you have beers with the post office. Folks. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> they, But the post office has never proactively asked to move. So anything that they'd have to do, you'd have to convince the post office to want to do that. And, and they want to stay in the downtown area. So that would be the only place probably that they'd be willing to move to, hmm. most likely. If you could ever get them on the phone to talk about it. What they've said in the past is they just don't want to move out to where the Wilsey property, which is where the village initially wanted to put them. But yeah, otherwise, a facility study is basically the equivalent of something we could have done on a napkin. But
1: so then what what do you think should go there?
0: <laughs> I think if I waved a wand, I think in putting the admin building and the post office in a combined structure there probably makes a lot of sense.
1: Seems like a good spot because you could walk to most everything. I, I like
0: having your key, like Bailey's Harbor, I think it's very cool that the town hall and the town offices and the library are in a center in the community and are portrayed as something that they have pride in, mm-hmm. right? When you give something a prime space and you build a big structure like that, when that one's a hundred years old and it's a beautiful thing that people came together to support then the fire stations across the street, I think that says a lot about like a pride in place. Mm-hmm. And it's not that every town has to do that, but I think that means a Crest Center in Egg Harbor, it's in the downtown area and their village halls right on the Berchinger Center is right on main street. The post office is part of that one. They're all
1: across the street, library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A,
0: it's a little core. Mm-hmm. The bank's right there. And it then there's a bar everything. across the street. Egg so it's Harbor. got everything you need. Yes. You go to a meeting, you go to the bar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or you go to the bar and then go to the meeting. Um, First,
1: you get money, then you get to, <laughs>
0: yeah. Then you go, to the, bar, then yeah, you go right. to the bar. But that, to me, would make a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of different options. The last, dead last on my list would be a parking lot mm. in a downtown core. Cause
1: yeah, it seems too valuable to just put a parking lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, I, I can't think of another community down here that just has a parking lot somewhere. Can you?
0: Town of Gibraltar?
1: Where is there?
0: Behind the town hall when they build.
1: But it's, yeah, but it's with the town hall,
0: you yeah, know? right. Right,
1: so, uh, so all of their parking is there. I mean, I can't, they do have parking down by the waterfront, but that's harbor parking. Mm-hmm. I can't think of. Like if they were to put parking there, it would just be like parking in the middle
0: And, I, of and the if village. I were the village, I wouldn't tear that building down until you know exactly what's going there. Because yeah. once you tear it down, people think it has to be whatever it is when it's like. So that was a struggle when they built the hotel door and chop restaurant is they demolished the building that was there to try and grease the skids for a developer. But then it sat empty for a few years and then they would use it for parking and it was green space. So then people, when they finally developed it, even though that was in the plan, in documents, in part of like a village conversation for decade or more, there were a lot of people who said, oh, you're taking away parking or you're taking away green space. It's like, no, this was never, this was just like always supposed to be something. Mm. So you run that risk of, if you demolish that building without like being ready to go on the next project, you may never get the next project mm. because people will get accustomed to it being parking and then they feel like you can't live without it. Mm. But Well, anyway, they could...
1: Is there a height restriction in Sister Bay, do you know?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's whatever the door is. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's like 35 feet.
1: So you can't put a space needle there.
0: No. Oh, man, that would be good.
1: Wouldn't it? It would rise above the door. <laughs> and then, you know, really one of the biggest complaints that people have about Sister Bay is seeing lots of development on top of the highest points of Sister yes. Bay. So if you had a space needle, then it would deflect from seeing those bluff top areas.
0: And it could be an amusement thing. You just shoot it people up it, <laughs> like at great America, and then you can get this, these incredible views of the entire peninsula because you just right. make you're super tall.
1: I, I think we shouldn't dismiss the idea of having it's a good something idea too, like that.
0: Some friends of mine like to refer to Sister Bay as Sister Vegas, so this would even oh. play more into that.
1: Or it, it could look rustic. I mean, it it, it wouldn't have to look. <laughs> make, it <laughs> yes, make it out of wood. Make it out of Jenga blocks. It could be a, I mean, look at the view. The view I mean, would, it would be, be fantastic. Amazing. <laughs> All right. So, anyway. So now we're that, off track.
0: Um, <laughs> anyway, so they got a parks building that they're trying to do. But then what else is on the docket there?
1: Most immediately, Mill Road West. Oh, yes. So, west of Highway 42. That's supposed to be starting in early March. And it's supposed to be finished before Memorial Day weekend. So, mid May. But they are completely rebuilding that road. And. It is, you know, new storm sewer and pavement, sidewalks, lighting, curb and gutter, all of that stuff. And they're using their premier area resort tax that they've accumulated since 2018 for that project.
0: And that's interesting because back in 2007, when they bought the Helms Four Seasons Hotel on the water there, one of the first priorities to, was to rebuild Mill Road. Oh. But then they weren't sure like, what they were going to do with that parcel across the street. And then other projects came up. And then it was like, well, let's bury the power lines. Oh, we got the Al's property. Let's buy that one. So it kept pushing down the road, reconstructing that. It's a little stretch. It's only yes. like, maybe it's a quarter mile.
1: Right. But it's pretty pivotal. I but mean, it's, it's Waterfront Park. Yeah. The Yacht Club. So it is a, it is a big stretch.
0: And it was in bad shape. Fifteen years ago, and it is in really bad shape now. I mean, w- we put on the a bike ride there, and the worst part of our bike ride oh. is the first 100 feet. Oh. <laughs> so, it's like because it, it's you know there's a lot of potholes and there's some drainage issues there. I wouldn't say a flooding problem, but there are big if you get a rainstorm or anything like you get these big puddles. So,
1: well, yeah. one person's puddle is another person's flood. As <laughs> as I think I, I I think I reported that actually.
0: <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's it's a problem area. It's, I think people like that they finally get to it. It does not include the stretch kind of from Husby's, between Husby's and on deck, which is maple, which turns into mill as it comes around the bend there. So it doesn't even go all the way around. And that's a, that road is in rough shape too. So right. up by the extends past what's now the village admin building.
1: So. Yes. Okay. So that's coming up. So these are projects that you will, well, that road project you'll see very soon. And then maybe the parks maintenance building you'll see this year. Another big thing that hit the fan last month actually was the housing study Mm. and the conceptual plans that they had for the Wiltsie property, that the village had purchased that property. They intended to turn it into some kind of a housing development type thing. Mm -hmm. And you were on the committee at the time when they purchased it In 2021, I think it was, or 2020?
0: End of 2020, maybe? Yeah. 2019, maybe. To come up with ideas, you know,
1: for, for what might happen. And as normally happens in municipalities, you have ad hoc committees. They do their work. It doesn't get translated, you know, and then other directions are taken, the board turns over completely. Nobody has any history. The administrator changes. Mm-hmm. You know, everything pretty much changed over that couple of year period. And suddenly you do have a housing study justifying how much housing the Wiltie property would support. And that came out last month. And I think that there were, for some reason, it excited a lot of media attention, and I think it was a 600, a need for 600 houses, basically, (laughs) that's how it was pitched. Portrayed, yeah. Right, which it was not that, it was that that's the pool of people that you have to draw from to fill whatever housing that you put there. So you have like this pool of 600 people that they were thinking, those are the workers of Sister Bay, who would be the market for whatever kind of housing that you put there. So we did not report that number because I was very confused by a lot of things in that housing study. And I just wanted the dust to settle a little bit and see where we were going with that. And so that is just getting started. And I think you're going to be a part of a committee in the future that is, again, going to be looking at alternatives to the one conceptual plan that this housing study had attached to it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been told that, that I,
1: (laughs) right. Right. Well, Uh, I mean, last month you were, you did speak up. I mean, this is a good thing. Miles is no longer covering Sister Bay. And (laughs) so this is, this is really (laughs) the reason why I'm covering Sister Bay. (laughs) Well, it's,
0: it's it's money and you know, we're a small, small newspaper in a small town. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, The classic journalism objectivity of like, I'm just here watching and I will not provide any input in a small town. If you care about your town, it's very hard to act that way. Right. And especially we have the good fortune of covering every other community. So we can see if a community does something that fails or if an engineer lies to one community and then they try to tell the same lie to another. Like we can... We can have input and we can share that information. And I think that's really valuable and it can save communities a lot of money.
1: And really, we're the only ones that do that. I right. mean, that understand how the process is and other municipalities, how projects proceed, who they use for them, what worked, what didn't. Yeah, you and can see examples
0: of something done well. Yeah. And then you see one that's like, wow, this is really disjointed. Like, why aren't they doing it that way? But then you realize, and, and I've, I've definitely been one to complain about that, how we, all these towns act in silos instead of learning from each other. But it's also hard. Like you have, if you're in a town board, and I think if, every time someone gets elected, they, they realize this, oh, it's not just going to the one monthly meeting. There's four committee meetings, or maybe there's some crisis that you got to go to an extra meeting, or there's an extra personnel thing that you got to go to. It's really hard to pay attention to another town and really dive into how they're doing something when your town is just struggling to to move the ball forward. Mm -hmm. So I I get, I've learned to understand that. And we, we have the advantage of just, that's our job. And we're also like incredibly interested in it for some. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I
1: mean, once you, I think you get hooked, like not you, I mean us, like, you know, I think, I think if you are in this field, you just, you just get hooked on this. There are a number of people and there are always a small number of an entire population who are really, really committed to their municipalities. And those are the people who run for these small local offices. They don't mm-hmm. do it for the money. And then the people who sit on the committees. So you have this core group of people who are intensely passionate about shaping the future of their communities. And you, you get caught up in that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really is, uh, you really do feel like you're, you're a part of something. I mean, our role of course is to raise awareness about that and to try and get as many people interested and involved as possible. We can't ever really sit back and say that we are AI. And <laughs> so we're just gonna be, you know, putting out completely entirely objective stuff. But my whole thing always has been fairness and accuracy. And those are the, those are the benchmarks. Yeah. Those are the things that we cannot violate. And the, I never believed in objective versus subjective anyway, because we are human, Yeah. but being fair covers that. That means that you're not going to be taking one angle for or against.
0: The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. And I think you're right. That's the biggest thing is, are you being fair? Are you yes. putting it out there? Are you giving people the option to to get the information at their fingertips and in their heads to partake if they want to?
1: Right, even if you
0: disagree. Yeah, and a lot of times that's what we do. Right, <laughs> so uh,
1: last, the Village Board's last January, um, the January meeting, so you had spoken up and said, why don't we get some professionals, local professionals to take another look at this, like, you know, with the housing study. Well, and
0: what, I had, what I was suggesting is, you know, they did that study and I understand the need to want to try and get a hyper-focused study on Sister Bay. But I was also looking at it like, I think I was part of a group, but I didn't do most of the work on this group. I just helped them present the information about this housing study five years ago when we were trying to convince people like, hey, we got to do something like this is a real thing. And and kind of showing that it's not, because when, for so long, when people talked about housing, and I don't even agree with this thinking, but they're like, well, it's just for like those summer workers, or it's just for low-income workers, as if like that means like who so cares? So it's not a problem, right? right? Or they think of it as like if you say affordable housing, they're like, oh, you're going to bring minorities next to me again. Total BS, right? But that is we were trying to say like no, it may be that, but it's also nurses, teachers, cops can't afford to live in your community. You all want those things, right? Like so, we we're trying to show that like this is a real deal because for 20 years, we couldn't move the needle.
1: And this was a housing study that was the Door County Economic Development Corporation in conjunction with the county and other entities. Yeah. A whole list. I mean, I had that in last week's, I think, I'm pretty sure
0: in last week's. So DCEDC did that study. Yes. And when they first announced that they were doing that study, I was like, you really need to study this? Like, why do we need to do this? But then ultimately I was like, this was good. Like, it really broke it down by how much was needed in different parts of the community, gave a baseline that you could take to developers and like, hey, we've done it. Look, we need this. Build it, you know. I remember and it, it has, was
1: great. Like when I came in 2020, they had just completed it. And so it was wonderful to have that kind of information. And it really does give you a quantifiable start.
0: Right. The part I was involved in was just the communications aspect of going to different communities. We did sessions in, I think, four different parts of the community to try and not just say, all right, you're, you guys are all invited, or hey, this study's online, but like, we're going to take it to you. We're going to break it down. And Amy Conley from the United Way, Mariah Good from the Land Use Services Department, and her colleague Becky Kerwin did a lot of work, as well as Marty Olenicek from the city of Sturgeon Bay, and creating a really good document that made it tangible to people and that showed exactly like what was for sale in your community, what was for rent in your community, and in many places, zero was for rent. And like, how are you trying? to get workforce if this is what it is? Or how do you expect your kids to stay here if this is what they're looking at for a market? And really broke that down community by community and job by job. That I thought was probably more valuable and instructive for Sister Bay. So I said like, well, maybe we'll go back to them and see if they can update that study. And that's what we're working on now. And largely they are working on because I, I just think it's it's really good work. But now it's not as much convincing people to do it. It's like, what do you build? Sure. And Which is kind of
1: harder, it, almost. A you little know? bit harder,
0: although I think the, the general consensus this is one reason why I'm not so much like study, 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 because I'm like, build anything. Yeah. It'll fill.
1: Right. Well, <laughs> but, that's then, what that's, people are learning.
0: Yeah. And the thing that came out of what Sister Bay had proposed is that it's a bunch of single-family housing units on 55 acres for purchase, when really what I've seen – in every study and conversation I've been about, it's like, it starts with rentals. Like we Mm -hmm. need, people need places to rent. There's nowhere close to enough of them. And that's the kind of thing that's a little easier to control, like either through WIDA or some sort of deed restricting rental rates and stuff like that. But the single family housing units, it's interesting because you have smaller households. Now you have a lot more people living alone. And if you're building single family housing, it doesn't address that at all.
1: And especially if you can't keep it affordable, right? And by affordable, I don't mean weed credits. I don't. I mean regular people. You know yeah. the nurses, teachers. You know the framework of our society, like the people who make up the most important jobs in any community. But and I will say,
0: Chris Heck, this Sister Bay fire chief, and Aaron Leclaire from Emergency Services, they have said they've lost people because they can't afford to get a house. Sure. So. People who are even volunteer firefighters, they end up losing the volunteer firefighter because they can't get a house that supports even their regular job right. as they volunteer on the side. So it is actually impacting all those different things, even if it's not in the traditional sense of a, right. a salary job.
1: So if you can't control the cost of the home, then it's not going to solve a problem. Right. Everybody deals with this, but we are working with, fortunately, we have a summer intern coming and. She already lives up here, but we are hiring another reporter. She's going to be coming on in August, and she's moving up here. She's a recent graduate from Grinnell College. And so she and I have been going back and forth on the best places for her to look. And all of the apartments right now are in Sturgeon Bay, but they all Start at a thousand to sixteen hundred. I think I saw maybe one that was less than twelve hundred. Right. So that's the only reason I even say a thousand. Now I know what she's going to be making, and that is, you know, that's that's a that's a lift. Yeah. I mean, that is not affordable. And regardless of of what goes there, I think the cost is the most important thing. People. Need housing absolutely, but they need housing that isn't going to break them. Nobody wants to be house poor, and a lot of people are, and that right. is one of the things the study showed. But and if you're
0: doing single-family housing and that kind of development, if if you're saying, and this is the case in in Surgeon Bay with Geneva Ridge, there is a shortage of housing in that two fifty to five hundred range too, like that people can buy, but that's not the rate. Or That's not the range of, I think, what a lot of people think they want to solve, which is the entry-level housing and people who work in our restaurants and our bars and hotels, even cops and nurses. 270 to 350 is not like an affordable house for a lot of those positions.
1: It would put them in a position where they would be more house poor than not.
0: Yeah. And if they could get the lending for it. If they could get the down payment. If they had the down payment, you know, that's one of the things in sister Bay where they're basing this on. They're looking at the study and they interview a bunch of people. And then they say, almost all these people would struggle to have a down payment. It's like, then why is a single family home for purchase the direction you want to go? Like that doesn't connect for me. Mm -hmm. I think there's a place for that. It's probably some different model, but I think that's why I always lean toward like, how do we provide rental units at a rate that someone can pay? And if they want to save money for a house, They can. And that's, and I say if, because like not everybody wants a home. Mm -hmm. I didn't want a home until I got married and had kids. I was perfectly fine renting. I know a lot of people that are, and who don't want that commitment of a home, don't want the maintenance, don't want that overhead. Mm -hmm. So it's a very American thing to like, think that that is your only ticket is you must own a house.
1: I think it's shifting.
0: But you should like, as a community, as a society, one, it's housing in general. You have to, I think morally, we have an obligation to make that available. And then at a price that supports our workforce and the things that we want in our community. Mm-hmm. And that might be $800 to $1,000. It might be some units at 700 or something. But like, that's what I look at. And then if somebody can do that and they said, all right, I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that for four years and I can now have $15,000 saved up because I'm not paying $1,500, i am paying $1,000 or something like that. Yeah. Like that's where I see the, the gap. And if they don't want to save the money, if they can't rent for 1000 bucks and save that money, well, that's fine too just don't, you don't buy a house.
1: Well, and yes, and it it seems like, and we'll get off this because we could probably <laughs> stay on this for a really long time. But the final thing that I've witnessed in my very short period of time doing this covering Sister Bay right now is that even something as simple as zoning laws don't allow communities to think outside the box because right. they were talking about, Well, if you have a mixed use development, then you can't really have single family housing with multifamily housing because the zoning is different for each one of those. And that seems to me like not even an issue, like just then change the zoning, like zoning should support the best and highest use. And if that evolves over time then you need to change it (laughs) because, I mean, that is not, that should never be something that, you don't do because the zoning doesn't allow you to do it. Now I know every zoning administrator out there in Dora County is cringing and probably turning this off right now because they're <laughs> like, "She doesn't know what she's talking about." Yeah, but I just think that that Are is. Are you channeling
0: Mariah right there?
1: <laughs> I just think that that is something that we create, that humans create, because at that time that it was created, it was how things were built. And people didn't want to live next to an apartment building because they were in a home and they wanted to be separate from that kind of a development. But I just think that we have to change the way we conceive of community. You know, right. and not isolate the apartment complexes over there and the senior housing over here and then the single family housing over here. I mean, communities should be integrated in order to get the maximum benefit of diversity.
0: And you're absolutely correct. And one of the things you mentioned the committee I was on, the, the ad hoc committee for the Wilsey property. One of our recommendations was look at zoning and zone it for what we want. If we can, if if we can change the zoning, like, uh, you know, this wasn't a committee of legal or zoning experts, but it's like, if our zoning is saying we can't do certain things, like let's readdress our whole community zoning. And I've said this before, you really can't be serious about affordable housing if you're not willing to talk about parking minimums and accessory dwelling units, mixed use, density, and single family zoning. Mm -hmm. Like if that's, if those are like non-starters for change, then just admit that you don't care about housing, <laughs> affordable housing cuz you can't do it without it. Right. Like right. you can't do affordable housing on large lots with single units per lot. Exactly. It's, it's the most the way that way to it's do it.
1: right, the way that it's been done in the past. I mean, and that is the definition of insanity, right? You mm-hmm. know that. So How about if we move to uh, Sturgeon Bay? There are yeah, just a couple <laughs> of things I wanted to <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. Let's uh, segue away from Sister Bay because obviously I can talk about that for a long time.
1: Well, and, and now that I'm covering it, we both probably could. So Right. So let's try and get another community in here. Um, Sturgeon Bay. So Kevin Baneski, our reporter, covers Sturgeon Bay for us. And there are a couple of stories that I was interested in. One of them is that their longtime fire chief, Tim Deepman, who has been there t- since 2016, he h- has retired. He... Gave his notice in a January 31 letter, and it was supposed to be effective April 5. But he is already gone. I guess he's taking some leave that he has accumulated. So they have promoted. Two months of leave accumulated. Yes, that's a lot of leave. So in the interim, they have promoted Kaylin Montevideo, who is the assistant fire chief right now, which is. Kind of cool. I don't know how many female fire chiefs there are in Wisconsin. So we're going to have to take a look at that because I've not ever heard of one. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I don't even think that there is a lot of females in the departments, you know, working as firefighters. But so they have done that on an interim basis and then they will, they haven't made a decision yet on how they'll search or what they'll do and they'll be meeting again to do that. So so some turnover there, some things happening there. And then the police chief, Clint Henry, he requested 10 cameras, which are license plate readers, that he is putting around the city in undisclosed locations. This has been approved, I guess it was in the budget as well, but it's about $40,000. And it was advanced by a committee and the common council has to vote on it. but. I don't know, license plate readers around the city. Supposedly he's doing it because, well, supposedly he's doing it because he says that they're good crime fighters when there were some vehicles stolen in the city of Sturgeon Bay. Green Bay uses these, Hmm. and that's how they were able to solve those crimes. But I'm thinking, you have these cameras. how, How do they just zone into the license plate? Like, are they... Aren't they capturing everything?
0: I would think so. I'm picturing, like, the British crime shows that I (laughs) watch. Or China. It's like they're they're always solved by the CCTV camera, and there's always footage of whatever happened. So I I envision that there are cameras on every square inch of Britain based on that.
1: (laughs) And supposedly in China, too. You know, (laughs) on every single traffic light, there is a camera. Uh, now face these recognition. aren't like red
0: light cameras, are they? Meaning, well, like in Chicago, they have red light cameras now where you get a ticket. It automatically knows if you oh, blew the red light. Yes. But this is set. This is a different. Yeah, this of thing. is
1: a different kind of technology, as yeah. I understand. And supposedly just reads your license plate and your make a vehicle. And Kevin reported on this story for this week, so it's a, a little bit early in the process, but I'm just still a little bit unclear as to exactly what these cameras pick up. I don't think that there are any really shady, nefarious places in Sturgeon Bay, but what if they put a camera up and just tracked like who's going in and out of that particular place of business? I can't imagine which one would be. You wouldn't want people to see you going into, (laughs) but it, you know, I mean, I just wonder like what if you're putting up cameras to fight crime, then you're catching the 1% or 2% of people who, who commit crimes. But all of the rest of the people are there.
0: It'll be interesting what happens. Like, these aren't totally uncommon. Obviously, people have a lot of these cameras on their houses. And I know, maybe I'm paranoid. But no, it is. it just feels different to have the city do it.
1: In a in a public space. In a public space. And how many vehicle thefts are there in Surgeon yeah, Bay? Yeah, that's the
0: thing. Like... What is the level of concern here and the problem to be solved? And then, and maybe it's totally fine, but it'll be interesting to hear how, like what kind of feedback they get from citizens as they hear this, because it just feels a little weird in a small town.
1: It does. And that's a knee jerk initial reaction. Right. And it probably is perfectly harmless and a great tool. Yeah. And they're just being leased. They're not actually purchasing them. Wait
0: a minute. 40 grand for 10 cameras only buys you a lease? I guess so. Over two years. Man, we should get into that business. <laughs> think that's four grand. A, wow. I
1: guess, you know, the installation and then wiring every single home in the neighborhood, you know. Is ex-
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. That's probably not what is happening with these cameras. But I, I do think it is, I do think it's interesting. We don't really know, we don't really know what is being captured, what data is being captured anyway, because I was talking to the U.S. Coast Guard. For a story that I'm working on, and he was talking about how they view the cameras when they're like looking at the ice fishing situation, which is not a problem at all this year, <laughs> but he was talking about the cameras that are on top of the Maritime Museum, and that give them a fantastic overview of lots of different spaces, and I thought, oh, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that there were cameras there, and so I'm thinking that there could
0: Probably a lot. I mean, Yeah,
1: there, there could be a lot. There, there probably is a lot of data being captured that we're not aware of.
0: It is. Um, it's interesting. Like the knee jerk is like, oh, camera, that'd be, that's weird. And then, you know, as soon as somebody breaks into your garage or like when that, my bike got stolen out of my garage in Chicago, I was like, anybody have a camera? Anybody capture that? <laughs> like, There's so cameras everywhere. <laughs> I
1: was sitting in my office in my window when I was living in Chicago and my window looked out of the garage and I had the garage door open. And this kid ran into my garage and took my bike. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like, hey, what, what, uh, wait, <laughs> hey, wait. And, you know, I try and run out of the house as fast as I can to chase this kid. So we both have similar experiences with that. But I saw it It, it burned
0: me so bad. I was just like. <laughs> It's going to yes. show up. It's going to show up one day. Like, I'm going to find this yeah, bike. Right. I call the police officer. They're like, ha, funny. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have, yeah, 200 down at the police office. Yeah, so, um,
0: they did not get have all their motivated personnel out looking for it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Do you have a security system on your house?
0: I, I probably shouldn't say that. No, I don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a good question to ask. Where do you live? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> got it off me um.
1: <laughs> All right so anyway that's coming up and uh, they haven't completely approved it but it was in the budget and and you know everybody seems pretty behind it so I think it it's going to be approved but it was just different
0: right yep well we are at nearly an hour. okay always. So- Anything else you feel like we need to touch on before we wrap up?
1: I just want to give a shout out to the two students in Sturgeon Bay who won the editorial civics contest. The Wisconsin Newspaper Association Foundation sponsors this contest. And it's the first time, it's the third year that they've had it, but the first time that any students in Door County actually participated. So Ellen Irby, who is a sixth grader, she won the cartoon portion of it. And what they had to do was portray the importance of the First Amendment. And then another sixth grader, Stephen Blevins, he won an honorable mention for a letter to the editor that he wrote. Again, it had to have the theme of the uh, First Amendment. But these are students at T.J. Walker Middle School in Sturgeon Bay. And the teacher who proposed that the students do it was Stephen Jacobson. And he's a middle school sixth grade geography teacher. So he's the one who pitched the contest and it was entirely voluntary. They had a number of students who took workshops for the cartoon, workshops for the letter writing portion of it, he said they had a lot of really great conversations about it and I was just really thrilled to hear that at least this particular teacher in school picked this up. So yeah, so other schools can be a part of that and it is the first part of another thing that happens from the Wisconsin Newspaper Association Foundation. And this is all because we're trying to help support civics education mm-hmm. in young people because there is a huge responsibility that comes with living in this country and educating children early in often is important. And so there is also the Wisconsin Civic Games coming up, and that is where high school students compete in civics related questions. I hosted one of those games, and it was really, really Interesting, And I couldn't, I didn't know all of the answers to all of the questions I was even asking. But (laughs) schools can gather together teams. Those are going to be coming up. And I really encourage high schools to try and get a group of kids together to try and compete. Because Door County has never had one of those teams compete.
0: Well, excellent. And congratulations to those two students. And thanks for entering the contest. And that's really cool that a a teacher did the work to push it out there. So hopefully we get some more teachers doing that for us going forward. Awesome. All right, Deb, we covered a lot of ground. Yes, we did. In two particular communities. All right.
1: (laughs) That's okay. Thanks,
0: as always, for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. We'll be back with you again next week. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. This podcast is produced by Miles Danhausen, Jr. and edited by Rachel Lucas. If you want to help us continue to create more great episodes just like this one, visit our website at doorcountypulse.com.